Well, it's going to be a great day for the inaugural podcast of The Medley. I'm Dave Sakonic, and with a little help from Lakefront Productions, this is a podcast of all things Appleby related. From our basement studio nestled deep in the Appleby Grove, we have a great show for you. Today, we have an interview with Ron Hay, a county teacher by day and comedian by night. Upper two student, Maya Capacita Gutierrez, will be performing Little Talks. I also had the pleasure of interviewing senior two student, Sarah Arnous, about life in Saudi Arabia and the growing role of women. We also have last year's Kali Prefect and present University of Waterloo student, Amin Yassin, playing a crowd favorite, Country Roads, for us. But to begin, the past few weeks have turned the world on its side. No one saw the healthcare crisis or economic cataclysm coming. Our society has been changed forever. And whether we believe it or not, our world will never be the same. Millions have become unemployed virtually overnight. Economic growth is stalled, travel is non-existent, and a recession is looming. Frontline healthcare professionals are overwhelmed and exhausted containing the spread of COVID-19. Our truck drivers and grocers ensure that we have food and medicine. We actually listen to our politicians now. We will no longer take things for granted. The good news is that we will extricate ourselves from this calamity a bit bruised, but much stronger. On Sunday, Queen Elizabeth consoled the world by saying, we will succeed, and that success will belong to every one of us. We should take comfort that while we may have more to endure, better days will return. We will be with our friends again. We will be with our families again. We will meet again. Prescient words from a great world leader. Now, an interview with Ron Hay. All right, Mr. Hay, so how did you get started in comedy? Oh, man. Uh, I'd probably say it started back in high school. I had a fantastic drama teacher. His name was uh, Mr. Kelleher. Uh, He got me into into just like acting and theater. And that kind of led me into my interest into uh, comedy and stand-up comedy particularly. Uh, But I'll be honest with you. I had this big interest in first year of university. I just didn't have the guts to actually take the leap to actually become a comedian, uh, even though we had a comedy club at Western. Uh, so it actually took me another 10 years after that. I had a former student. Uh, her name was Lisa Marie. We went out for coffee one day and we were talking about all of this. And somehow it came up and she said, hey, well, you know what? Why don't you just take a course at Second City and just do it, right? You've been talking about doing this for 10 years. Why don't you just do it? And the light bulb just clicked off. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sign up for the course. So I signed up for Second City. Um, it was a seven week course. And at the end of the seven weeks, uh, we had to do a five minute routine in front of our family and friends. Um, and ever since then I became addicted and I've been doing it for the last three years now. So I have to ask because I, you know, you've got a great sense of humor. Uh, you fired kids up in class, all these things. How do you, how do you write a good joke? Yeah, I think for me, I really rely on personal experience, whether it's in the classroom with family or friends. Um, and then after that, uh, I kind of sit down in my, my, 
my joke writing area of my room, which is really just my couch in front of the TV. Um, and the way you typically write a joke is set up punchline. Um, so the whole idea is that um, you're trying to find a way to surprise the audience with uh, an unconventional ending to, to the story. And that's what makes a joke funny, is to kind of misdirect uh, the audience into a certain direction that uh, they didn't expect to be taken. Uh, similar to a magician, right? And that's where the magic happens is uh, something happens on stage they don't expect to happen. And, but with comedians, we, we like to do that with, with our words. So give me an example of a, of a quick joke that you, would, you could take us through, like the setup, you know, the, the guts to the joke, and then the misdirection. Um, let's see here. Oh, I better, uh, find a joke that's a probably appropriate for the radio station. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Put me on the spot. Uh, here, let's take a look over here. Um, here, one, one common joke I, I do with, um, I, I close with often is, uh, a joke about my name. Um, I, I talk about how, um, you know, my, my parents, they, uh, they name me Ronald, um, and I, I tell them how I, I don't like my name. Um, so I asked them when I was young why they named my brother and I uh, Ronald and Richard. And it turns out that they actually named us after former presidents, uh, Ronald Reagan and uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, so they wanted their children essentially to grow up one day to become the president of the United States of America. Uh, as Canadians. Um, and one of the punchlines I use is, um, you know, I say, oh, who would have guessed? Uh, this entire time, I thought they named me after uh, a hardware store uh, because my mom, she always calls me Rona, Rona, uh, because she can't actually pronounce my name. She slurs my name. Uh, so I sound like a hardware store. Um, so I kind of take them down that route thinking that, hey, they named me after the president. Uh, but actually this entire time I thought they named me after a hardware store. So, and I am, of course I imitate my mom. I do this big act out. Um, it usually gets a pretty good laugh there. So is some of your comedy physical as well? Um, not really, not for me. Uh, I'm not quite a physical comedian. Um, I have a hard time doing some of those things. You know, I think the best physical comedian that I could think of right now is, is Kramer, right? You watch him on Seinfeld and he's so great with his body. Um, I just don't have that in me. Uh, so I, I typically rely on, on storytelling, just kind of the fundamentals of, of setup and punchlines um, and try to be relatable to the audience. So I'm going to end up with one last question for you. If you were to talk to students and say to them how comedy has made you a better person, how would you go about that? Oh, man, comedy has done so much for me. Um, I'd say one of the biggest things that I've learned or still learning even until this age is work ethic and how much work ethic truly matters in anything that you really want to accomplish in life. And you could be the funniest comedian or funniest person, I should say, I shouldn't even use the word comedian, funniest person. But ultimately, it won't matter unless you're willing to put in the work to write, to go to Toronto every single week, several times a week, perform, get on stage, network with producers. Um, that's how you really kind of climb that, that comedy ladder. Um, 
a lot of times raw talent just isn't enough to, to get you anywhere. And whether that's in business or science or whatever it is that you want to achieve, uh, a lot of it is work ethic. And that's something I'm, I'm working my butt off every single day to try to get better in writing and performing in comedy. And actually, I won't make that my last question. How many hours a week would you, uh, are you putting into your comedy routines? Oh, man, before I guess this whole pandemic started, I was, I would say, going to Toronto four times a week, five times maybe on a, on a, busy, on a busy week. Uh, so that's just stage time right there. So if you include all the travel back and forth plus the stage time itself, and then you add in the actual writing component, and then you add in the practice component in front of the mirror, I'm putting in at least, oh man, at least over 10, 15, 20 hours a week, um, just through the, you know, just from traveling alone, uh, from going from city to city, takes up a lot of time. Uh, and then the writing and the practicing, yeah, at least 10 hours minimum. That is a great inspirational story, Ron. I really appreciate you taking time speaking to us here at Rough FM. And be sure to listen in next Friday when uh, we'll be broadcasting your little interview here. And I know the kids will be looking forward to hearing and, and, all, and all our colleagues as well. But uh, thanks very much for everything, Ron. I really appreciate it. No problem, Zook. Thanks for having me on, buddy. Appreciate it. Next up, we have Maya Capacity Gutierrez an upper two student at Appleby. She plays guitar, ukulele, and sings. One of her favorite artists is Carrie Underwood, and her favorite music genres are country and Broadway. Here, performing little talks, is Maya. Someday
Thank you very much, Maya. Nice way to start the day. Earlier in the year, I spoke with Sarah Arnous about Saudi Arabia as a transitioning economy and asked her what role women play in the country's social and economic fabric. She kindly accepted an invitation to speak with me last week. But today we've got uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Arnous with us, a uh, grade 12 student here at Appleby College, and she's also in an inter international business course with me. And earlier in the year, we started to discuss Saudi Arabia and um, women's rights and, and, and how there are different perceptions here in the West about Saudi Arabia and, and, and women's uh, in, the, in the woman's role there. So okay. I've asked Sarah to come online with us today and, and speak to us mm -hmm. about uh, what mm -hmm. she would uh, define as an Islamic stereotype that we in the West mm -hmm. seem to think exists. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, totally. I think uh, the biggest stereotype that um, people associate in the West with women and Saudi Arabia is that people are very oppressive to women in, back home in Saudi Arabia. And um, this is a very, it's a wrong image on on the culture in Saudi Arabia, it doesn't mean that if women are are kind of following this different lifestyle, um, where they're more or le more so kind of hidden from the outside world, that they're being that they're oppressed. Um, and in fact, our Prophet Prophet Muhammad peace be upon uh, peace be upon him in Islam um, talks a lot about women in our religion and how they should be treated. Uh, like queens, and I have a couple of quotes. In fact, um, and this is one of the most important quotes that he he says. He says, "Only an honorable man treats women with honor and integrity, and only a vile and dishonorable man humiliates and degrades women." So, if 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 people are associating women with oppression in Saudi Arabia, um, in the West here, they they are very wrong because it, it's in our religion to actually place the woman on a high kind of, you know, on a high standard. Um, and it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's very, it's very sad to know that people think of women as, you know, being oppressed in Saudi Arabia. And um, it's unfortunate because women are actually a big part of the Saudi economy at the moment too. And there's, there has been an extreme rise in the woman society um, in the past couple of years. And I feel like the country was trying to catch up with the world's kind of, you know, way of um, just the lifestyle that people are having in the West. And, you know, Saudi is a very, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very, it's a very big contributor of oil. Um, it's very important in the, you know, functioning of many countries around the world. And they had to change their approach and the regulations regarding women, not not to say that they were, you know, they were oppressing women or they were kind of silencing women in the past, but they just had to make them seem more kind of put them more out there. Um, so it's, it's definitely been a big, big change for women in, in the past couple of years in Saudi Arabia in terms of how they're exposed in the media and how they are, um, they're just rising, but it doesn't mean that they were, they were oppressed in the past. So in, in recent years, uh, there's been a rise in, in, I guess, what we call Saudi feminism. Absolutely. Uh, how and why has this occurred? Um, I feel like, as I, as I mentioned, you know, Saudi Arabia, is a, it's, a, it's a big country. Um, it's a big supplier of oil for many countries around the world. And they wanted to catch up with the rest of the countries around the world in terms of how women are... Um, exposed in the media, how women are contributing to the economy. Um, so 
I feel like they, they needed to change their approach regarding the regulations um, regarding women. And I mean, beforehand, they were never shut out from basic human rights and work opportunities, but it was definitely hard, harder for them to get high positions in the government. But I mean, this happens all around the world. It's, 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 it's a social issue. It's, it's an issue of social construct and tradition that must be tackled world, worldwide and not only in Saudi Arabia, you know, the gender gap and gender wage gap. But what really changed for Saudi Arabia was that women were, were kind of finally unveiling themselves. They used to be known as the housewives. They used to be known as the ones who were kind of working in these jobs that were not so much uh, so popular or so much so high regarded as high end, high, like high end jobs. Um, but now women have taken, have become more so independent and they have allowed themselves, they have exposed themselves to the world, um, obviously in a positive manner. Um, they have, uh, placed a spotlight on them to show them that they are talented and they are capable of, you know, working just like men are, and they are capable of, you know, creating, you know, uh, creating a good lifestyle. So it's definitely been, um, it's been hard for them to take this jump, this leap of faith where they, you know, they're exposing themselves because, you know, in, in, in Islam, it's, it's very encouraged to be modest as a woman and modesty does include um, being very, very much so, veiled and concealed but but women were able to women in Saudi Arabia were able to show their talents showcase their talents in a modest way um, through many initiatives that they have done in Saudi Arabia and um, as you may know now women can drive as well and that's been a different definitely been a big change um, in um, Saudi culture and we can see that women and men are kind of now equalized um, in the sense of how they are exposed in the media so as far as everyday activities, women are involved in government, they're involved in business, they're involved in Absolutely. Companies. What other areas are they influential in? Um, very much so entertainment and tourism nowadays, because I think Saudi Arabia is focusing a lot on tourism and um, entertainment because they are trying to create and build um, this Saudi Arabia. They want Saudi Arabia to become a touristic attraction for people all across the world. So women... Um, in Saudi Arabia are very creative, very innovative, and they're definitely the backbone, I think, of the of the tourism industry and the entertainment industry in Saudi Arabia at the moment. Um, and we can see that through the, the plethora of influencers on Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok. These women are coming up with ideas that people have never seen before. Um, and these ideas are becoming so successful in, in kind of advancing the, the, the tourism industry and the entertainment industry, event planning and um, amusement park, uh, park plans. It's just, it's incredible. And I feel like, honestly, Saudi Arabia is becoming Dubai 2.0. It's becoming the Dubai 2.0. And I feel like it's going to go far places um, in the next 10 years. That is something I never even knew. That, thank yes. you for those great insights. Yes. It's so, amazing. It's amazing. So when you go back to Saudi, like, mm -hmm. what would be a normal day for you? Like, take us through. A normal day. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely it has changed. I mean, I go to Saudi every summer once, um, once, a, once a year in the summer, and I feel like every time I go back there in the summer, there's just so many, so many new things to do, and there's just it's it, there's so much change in Saudi Arabia. So I mean, if I if you were to ask me this question two years ago, I would say that you know probably staying at home, um, you know, having a nice breakfast with the family and then, um, going to the mall with my, 
friends and family and then going to visit some family or friends and then coming back home. It's, it's very much so. Saudi Arabia was more so about malls, restaurants, friends, family house, and then back home. Like that was the routine in Saudi Arabia because it's, it's really hot in the summer. So nobody really goes outside. I mean, there are plenty of parks and, um, attractions, but I mean, nobody really enjoys to do that in the daytime. So, I mean, if you want to do that in nighttime, then, um, yeah, but, um, now if you were to ask me that question now, I mean, there are so many activities to do, um, during the day and nighttime, there's so many indoor activities to do during the daytime when it's very, very hot. And then during the nighttime, there's a lot of, there's much more nightlife nowadays, um, with music festivals and, um, theaters and movie like movie theaters and plays it's it's incredible and I mean it's also been controversial with the Islamic kind of reg, reg, regulations because I mean um, in Islam music is not seen as something um, uh, very kind of they're not Islam is not very fond about music and like music festivals and ga the gathering of women and men in one area and it's it's it, it did definitely took Saudi a big kind of kind of it's it's a, it's a leap of faith for them to do such a thing but I mean as long as you're kind of using these services and these entertainment kind of opportunities in a modest way then why not right? It's, it's definitely taking Saudi to a new place, a place they've never been before. And, and there's no drinking in Saudi, is there? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. These are all dry events. Mm -hmm. what, mm -hmm. what about drug use? Is there much drug, drug use? Um, of course, only for medical, medical use, but drug, dr drugs and um, alcohol are, are prohibited, uh, prohibited in Saudi Arabia, wow. completely prohibited, but not to mention that there are undercover kind of, um, you know, activities taking place. Activities taking, yes, absolutely. Little black market. Mm -hmm. So, as you know, I'm a foodie. Uh, oh, so are, am I. <laughs> what are your some some of your favorite uh, Saudi meals? Okay, so there, Saudi kind of Saudi cuisine is really re revolves around rice and chicken, and um, it's it's it, it sounds pretty basic, but it honestly it's the tastiest thing you can ever eat. So there's three dishes, rice and chicken dishes um, in Saudi Arabia that are very popular. One is called kebsa, one is called mendi, and one is called bukhari. And um, they're all basically different spices and methods of cooking. So the one that I enjoy most is just the childhood kind of uh, childhood memory is kebsa. And my mom makes it all the time. And it's basically um, rice cooked in this like tomato spice uh, with garlic and fumed with like charcoal so you get that smoky taste um, with chicken kind of uh, coated in a garlic tomato paste um, and it's served with uh, fried raisins and almonds on the top as a topping and it's absolutely delicious it's eaten with yogurt or this traditional hot sauce tomato hot sauce and it's absolutely delicious and that's why when I go to Saudi I like gain 10 kilograms because of all the rice and chicken we eat so, uh, yeah, it's okay. definitely a plus. Yeah. And dessert-wise, we have something called mhalabiya, and it's basically like a rice pudding um, served with pistachios and syrup on the top, and it's, it's absolutely decadent. Okay, you'll have to send me the, the recipe for the chicken. What oh, my goodness. I'll, if, if we go get back to school, my mom will actually, well, she will make you a serving for yourself. <laughs> what, what do you drink with that? Like, um, so usually traditionally we drink, it's actually a yogurt drink. I don't know if you've ever tried a yogurt drink before. And it's, it's, um, it's a very subtle kind of refreshing 
refreshing taste. It's a, it's a, it's like a liquid that's very refreshing and very, it's, it's not too um, kind of yogurty, but it's very refreshing. And uh, we usually drink that with it. Uh, in terms of like juices, there's a juice called Vimto, which is kind of like a, it's a very syrupy drink. It's very, for me personally, it's too sweet. I don't really enjoy it, but it's a syrupy grape drink. Um, very popular in Ramadan, uh, but it's also a popular option to drink with the with kapsa. Outstanding. Okay, well, mm-hmm. I'm, I've got a recipe that I'm, I'm getting. And I'm <laughs> Absolutely. And, and a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 10 years, you're going to be finished university and you'll be starting your career. Mm-hmm. Where do you see Saudi Arabia? Um, I think that Saudi Arabia is going to be a, a, a country like no other now I can say for now, they are literally Dubai 2.0. And it's amazing because I've always wanted to live in Dubai. Um, and now when I go back to Saudi Arabia, it's literally like, it's, it's as if I'm in Dubai. It's amazing. But I feel like in 10 years, with 10 years of a time frame, they've done so much in just you know a couple of years. So in 10 years, they do have something called the 2030 vision. Um, and basically what they want to do is just expand their economy and start implementing economic activities like no other. And they're really focusing on the expansion of land, um, the uh, expansion of building, building um, buildings all across the city. And they've, they've already accomplished a lot in that. And the expansion of amusement and entertainment areas. Uh, they're also actually, they are going to build six, the Six Flags World Park, and it's going to be the biggest six, flag, uh, six Flags World Park in the entire world in Riyadh, um, which is the capital city. It's where, that's where I live as well. Um, and it's just, it's, it's so exciting to see what's going to happen. There's going to be a metro, a metro system taking you from city to city, um, in, in, in the blink of an eye. It's, it's going to be amazing. Well, Sarah, this has been incredibly insightful for me and also very, Thank you. and any parting comments that you'd like to to pass on, um, pass on to the listeners? Uh, Saudi is a country that will forever be my heart. I spent eight years there of my childhood. Um, and to see the changes, it's, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's amazing to see the changes that are happening in the Saudi, in the Saudi culture. Um, and I really, I cannot wait to be part of this, this community during the summer. Um, and uh, it's just, it's, it's incredible how much potential we have. And we've been kind of, I feel like we've been not silenced, but we've just kind of been under the rug for a long time. And now we're kind of rising and we're showing off our capabilities uh, and it's, it's taking us far places and I cannot wait to, to see what's going to happen. Sarah, you have been just outstanding. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much for spending some time with us today. And My pleasure. I look forward to seeing you once we are post lockdown and we can recipes and, <laughs> and you're going to get some cups up. You have this life that I didn't even know about that probably oh. many people don't even know about Saudi we, in the West. I'm so happy to share that with you. I'm so I happy. This information comes our way, but uh, Thank I know the media, that. unfortunately, the media, I think, is the biggest blockade in terms of knowing what the, the truth is and like asking a person who is who has been there, who has done that is the only way to really kind of extract the true information. I, I would I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Anyhow, enjoy your weekend. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. You too. Stay well, safe. And we'll see, see you soon. You Take Bye. care. Bye. 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 That was senior two student Sarah News talking with me about life in Saudi Arabia today. Next up, 
Alumnus Amin Yassin, last year's Kali Prefect, performs Country Roads Live at Guitar Fest 2019. Almost heaven, West Virginia, Blue Ridge Mountains, Shenandoah River. Life is old there, older than the trees, younger than the mountains, blowing like a breeze. Country roads take me home to the place I belong, West Virginia, mountain mama, take me home, country roads. All my memories gather round her Miner's lady, stranger to blue water Dark and dusty, painted on the sky Misty taste of moonshine, teardrops in my eyes Country roads take me home to the place I belong West Virginia Mountain Mama Take me home Country road I hear her voice In the morning now She calls me The radio reminds me Of my home Far away and driving down the roads I get a feeling that I should have been home Yesterday, yesterday <laughs> Country roads take me home To the place I belong West Virginia me home, country roads, everybody Well, that's the show for this week, and we'll be back again in seven days. March break feels like an eternity ago. I hope your online courses are going well. You've learned to cook, knit, write memes, or become a discerning Netflix aficionado. We will all make the world a better place on the backside of this global pandemic. So I thought we should end the podcast with the 2009 song, Down the Road, written by country singer Rob Anthony as a tribute to our truck drivers the ones who have been keeping the wheels of a reeling economy lubricated and our hospitals stocked with much-needed medical supplies. They are trying to make our lives seem somewhat normal each and every day. So, thank you for listening today. Feel free to send me your comments, suggestions, and musical performances that will only make the podcast that much better. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. Stay well. Sun sets down on a painted sky It's always hard to say goodbye I 
never leave your smile behind I take all of you with me The open road it calls to me The places I go, the people I see I bring everything they need And help the world to move along One mile down and a thousand more to go I carry the load down the road Desert heat, it keeps me warm Rain or shine, I weather the storm Pictures I keep up above Remind me of love back home I tell my son the faces I see The day to day they rely on me One day you will understand I help the world to move along One mile down and a thousand more to go I carry the load down the road Down the road Waves of rain and the starry nights Mountaintops and the city lights Thoughts of me by candlelight They all bring me back to you One mile down and a thousand more to go and you know I'm coming back home And take you everywhere that I go I carry this load down the road I carry the load down the road I carry the 